All right, tonight uh, the title of our talk is Silent Influencers. Silent Influencers. These are things that influence our decisions, they influence our life, um, but they're very silent, they're kind of covert, they're kind of stealth. Um, uh, they they, they, they kind of like determine, uh, it's our compass, if you will. They're silent influencers. And, and I'm going to talk about three things. Number one is sacrifice. Number two is persona. Number three is submission. Sacrifice, persona, and submission. Sacrifice, persona, and submission. I'm going to talk about those three things. And, and the reason why I'm going to unpack sacrifice first is because uh, what you don't sacrifice for, you will end up sacrificing. Uh, another way of saying it, the way I wrote it down was, if you don't sacrifice for what you want, what you want will be sacrificed. Thank you, Jessica. That was, that was kind of good. Uh, it, it'll be, it'll be, and it doesn't matter what it is. If you don't sacrifice uh, to work out, then you sacrifice. You guys finished that one. <laughs> you got to sacrifice for it. If you don't sacrifice for your marriage, your marriage will be sacrificed. Uh, you you got to sacrifice. It's, it's a staple. Further, uh, let me just say this. A lot of times when, when, we, are, when we don't want to sacrifice, it's, it's because what we have at the moment, we're not willing to give up. Uh, like getting out of bed early in the morning. I was talking with somebody the other day that said, you know, I don't have time to do this or I don't have time to do that. And I said, sure you do. You can always get up earlier. You can always get up earlier. Well, okay, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Because when you're laying in bed, it's like, I am not getting out of this bed. It was so hard for me to fall asleep. It's hard to fall asleep, then it's hard to wake up. Isn't that weird? You can't get comfortable, and then you can't get uncomfortable. It's like, the, 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 it's crazy. It's like there's this magnetic force that kicks in and it just sucks you right into the bed. And, and while you're laying there in the morning, you don't want to get out of the bed. And, and, and that has, this principle has to do with anything that you're going to sacrifice, whether it's your sleep, uh, your will, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but at that moment, if we can just remember this, what's coming is better than what's gone. What's coming is better than what's gone. Um, and, and so w when whatever we're sacrificing at that moment and whatever is we're losing at that moment, whatever's coming is better than what's gone. And, and I just want to just say this, uh, just get a tad bit more serious to prove that that principle is, it goes across so many different spectrums of life. Uh, I've got a friend of mine that's recently divorced uh, about two years. And while I was putting these notes together, I texted him that, that, that those words. You know, what's coming is better than what's gone. And, and we just got to embrace that. We got to embrace that. We got to know that. We got to say that to ourselves over and over and over and over again, especially in the process of sacrificing. Um, keep this in mind about sacrificing, that the more that's sacrificed, the more that will come to life. Um, the more you sacrifice, the more will come to life. Um, you know, I, I remember when I first got married, I was not into the fact that uh, I couldn't do whatever I wanted to do anymore. You know, I, I had, uh, I was a part of an internship 
ministerial internship, there was 12 of us. 11 of us were guys. Um, and we were like brothers. I mean, brothers. We hung out. We played ball. We stayed up in the middle of the night. Um, the, the closest, we lived in Rockford, Illinois, and the closest Krispy Kreme was in Chicago, and it was like an hour and a half away. And we'd just, hey, let's go get some Krispy Kremes. You know, it's just like, we love that life. And then we get married, and then my wife is like, hey, where are you? And I'm like, does it matter where I am? I'm, I'm with my boys. Uh, that was over real quick. Um, real, real, real quick. Um, uh, after I would hang up, I'd say, and I'm not going to say that again. You know, but... <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I realized that I'm sacrificing so much of me is the way I felt. I mean, I'm sacrificing me. Um, but little did I realize that there's things coming to life in the process of things sacrificing. Um, you know, uh, for those of you that have started that prayer intensive and you're continuing to do it, you know, you, you're sacrificing in order to pray. You know, you're sacrificing your time, portions of your day, portions of your sleep. More is coming alive when you pray than is being sacrificed. And so uh, let's unpack this sacrifice thought. Uh, like I said, I'm, we're going to cover three points in this chapter, First Timothy chapter 2. Sacrifice, persona, and submission. Sacrifice uh, is this thought right here. What, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? Um, I've said this before. I, I don't do marriage counseling um, because we have people that uh, it's their anointing, it's their calling to do that on our team, people that are marriage and family therapists that have been doing it for 20, 25 years. Um, but the few times that I have done marriage counseling, I usually look at um, one of them and I'll say, uh, what do you want? What do you want? What, what do you want from him? And, and um, you know, we'll discuss that. And... Um, I'll look at him and I'll say, well, what do you want? And then he'll talk about what he wants. And I'll look back and I'll say, are, are you willing to give him what he wants? Are you willing to give her what she wants? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to sacrifice? What level of sacrifice are you guys willing to go here? Um, you know, it's a sacrifice. Um, what are you willing to do? Here's the three sub-points under sacrifice. Um, Timothy, in, in, in chapter uh, 2, verse 1, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, to pray for people. This is what he's saying. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. What, what, what he's saying right here is sacrifice your attention. Uh, whenever we're in pray, whenever we're praying, what do we want to pray about? We want to pray about numero uno, right? Yeah, did you catch that, Isaiah? Did you understand what I just said? I, I said numero uno. <laughs> I'll break it down for you. I'm just. Uh, did you catch that, Robert? Did you catch that? No, it's number one. See, I got to slow down for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm actually, uh, I shouldn't say this because don't anyone tease me and come up to me and say, how's your, your Spanish lessons going? I'm taking the, the Pimsleur approach in my car. 
You guys know what the Primsler approach is? Well, it's, it's Spanish on, on CDs. And, and my kids are getting so irritated with me because I got these lessons and I'm on like on lesson three. And I'm like, you know, buenas is for buenos dias. But then it's not buenas tardes. No, 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 no. When you go to the afternoon, it's buenos. Huh? You go to buenos noches, it's not buenas. Only buenas is in the morning. Buenos is afternoon and evening. What? <laughs> my kids are so upset with me they're gonna sneak in the car and throw it away did I even get that right no it's the other way around so it's buenos dias buenos dias and then buenas tardes buenas noches Gosh, I got to go back to like lesson one on my CDs now. I was already up to four. See, not, not, not. <laughs> See you never know what you're going to learn at, at Celebration Church, right? The visitors are like, okay, when he turns his head to the left, let's leave. All right. He's saying, let, let's pray for all people. Uh, to sacrifice our attention. Let me just kind of talk on this a little bit. First of all, to, to take our attention off of ourselves and to start praying for somebody else is such a huge deal. It is such a huge deal. But I, the, the other thought I want to attach to that is, have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder if praying for that person is going to do any good? I wonder if praying for that person is going to do any good because God already knows the future and, and they're going to make their own decisions anyway. Uh, I wonder if praying for them is going to do any good. The answer to that question is absolutely yes. Amen. Absolutely yes. Otherwise, and from its most simplest form, it would not be in the scriptures if it did not make a radical difference. Amen. It would not be there. It would not be there. There's a story about, um, uh, I, I believe it was Paul. Uh, you have to help me, Pastor. It might have been Peter. Anyway, he, it, I think it was Peter. He was in, he was in prison, and uh, all of a sudden, this, this, this home group, what I like to call a home group, there's these people in this home, and they were praying for him while he was in prison. And, and all of a sudden, an angel walks into prison and, and walks him out. And then Peter walks up to the door and knocks on the door. The girl opens up the door and she's like, ah, and shuts the door. And goes back and tells everybody, hey, Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, he's not. He's in prison. We're praying for him to be released. Well, have you ever been surprised when God answers your prayer? <laughs> well, I knew he was going to do it. I knew it all the time. But they were praying for it, and it came. He, didn't, he was not released from prison. An angel did not come uh, to, for, for any other reason other than the fact that somebody was praying for him. Amen. Somebody was praying for him. Pete might have been sleeping. Are you with me? So pray for the people. Then uh, sacrifice your flesh is the second part I want to point out. First um, Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. But he's saying, I want you to pray with your hands in the air. This is what he's saying. Now, why is my sub-point sacrifice your flesh? Because... 
That is the only thing standing in the way between you raising your hands and not raising your hands. It's in the Bible. It says, it says raise your hands, right? And, and, and you love God, right? You love God. You know it's in the Bible because I just read it. Uh, you want to have a relationship with God. He's your father. You're his son. You're his daughter. So why don't we raise our hands? Amen. Well, the question is, thank you. We can, always, we can always count on you guys, right? <laughs> thank you. But why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? It's because our flesh doesn't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to. And so um, th that's why that, the, the word sacrifice is the first bullet here. Because in this chapter, when I read the chapter, the common denominator, the theme, the thread that I see in the first few verses is sacrifice. To sacrifice your attention and to sacrifice your flesh. In other words, you tell your body, I don't care what you want to do. I don't, I don't care what you want to do. How many here, and just raise your hand, if you have ever uh, set aside a period of days uh, to fast certain foods or all food, or just, just raise your hand. You know, if you're kind of new to that, it's when you're, you're, you're trying to get your physical body under control. It's like you, you want to get your, your spirit man strong and your flesh man weak. So you starve your flesh man to build up your spirit man. I, I, and, and basically what, what you're doing is every time you look at a pack of Twinkies and you're like, oh my goodness, that looks so good. You tell yourself, shut up. Shut up. And then what do you say to yourself? You say, I desire spiritual food. I, I desire spiritual things more than I desire physical food. Shut up. You tell yourself, shut up. Now, that's the Italian way, but you guys have your own way of going off on yourself, right? <laughs> Everybody goes off on themselves some way, somehow. You just say, shut up. Now, uh, now, I've made a mental list of all the things I'm going to eat when I'm done fasting. Huh? Have you ever looked at food and like, I'll be back for that? <laughs> Have you ever thought that? I've, I've seen people eating pizza before and I'm like, I will be back for that. As soon as I get back. And then you come back and you overeat and make yourself sick. Have you ever done I've never done that. I, I got a friend. I got a friend that did that. But he's saying, lift up holy hands. And so we got to get to the point where we say to ourselves, not just in worship, but with anything, that our body doesn't call the shots. What we desire is often wrong. Yes. Right. Right? So um, if you're taking notes, write this down. God appreciates the raising of our hands. He appreciates the raising of our hands. Sometimes I raise my hands, and I don't even know the words to the song that they're singing. They don't send me the list of songs before they sing them. It's not like I walk in here and I know exactly what they're going to be singing. I don't know what they're going to be singing. Whenever they could pull out a new song, I don't, I don't get it four days before, so I get to learn it before everybody else. I learn it the same time you guys learn it. Me raising my hands has nothing to do with whether or not I know the song or not. The, the song to me, don't take this personal, you guys rock, you know I love you, right? But the worship to me is, is just like an aroma around what I'm doing. You see what I'm saying? 
It's, it's like, it's like when, if you go to a five-star restaurant and you got the candles and, and you got the music, you got the white tablecloths, and, and you're having a conversation with somebody you love. The, the music and the tablecloths and the, and the candles is not taking the place of the conversation, right? It's enhancing the conversation. Are you with me? And, and that's what worship is all about. So raising your hands really has nothing to do with whether or not you like that song. Because it, it's just part of the environment. It's, it's part of the experience. It's part of the worshiping experience. Um, so I want to encourage you to raise your hands only because Paul is encouraging us to raise our hands in the Bible. Uh, sacrifice your will. First Timothy chapter two. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. Now here's the second half of that sentence. Free from anger and controversy. <sighs> Don't you wish there were certain things that were not in the Bible? <laughs> Are you with me? It's like, why does that have to be there? You know, that's one of those sentences where you just keep on reading, right? It's like, you re I think I know what that means. I don't want to think about it, so I'm just going to keep on reading. So here we go. Let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. What does that mean to worship free from anger and controversy? What does that mean? Well, it means exactly what you think it means. You don't need me to explain to you what that means. You know exactly what that means. But just for fun, because I got a microphone, let's talk about it. If you're going to worship and you're mad at somebody, you need to drop it. Now, how is that possible? Well, it's not easy. Sometimes I get upset with my wife whenever we get into an argument on Saturday because she knows good and well I'm going to have to apologize before Sunday. <laughs> and it, it, it's like, hey, this is not fair. This is not fair. You know, and I've said this. I said, you know, you know. And she'll start laughing every time. She'll start laughing. You know I can't get up there and be mad at you. You know I can't. So let's deal with this. Tell me you're sorry. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, we got to be free from it. You got to be free from it. Uh, God, you know, God is. A, here's the thing that's that's kind of that's kind of hard for us to wrap our head around. The the person that you're mad at, the person that you're irritated at, God loves them as much as He loves you. I know that's hard to believe. I know that's hard to believe because when you look at that person, you're thinking that person is an idiot. Nobody in their right mind would even enjoy being around them, much less love them. Here's the thing. I know this is hard to embrace, but God loves that person as much as he loves you. And he doesn't like it when you're mad at them. And he doesn't like it when you're punishing them and freezing them out. I want to talk to the person in history that invented the freeze out. 
I want to talk to the person, the very first person that froze somebody out and then realized that that works and went and told somebody and it began to spread. You know what I'm talking about? The freeze out when it's like, I'm not going to talk to you for the rest of the day. That's a freeze out. And, and, the, and the, there's some among us that can, I can, go, I can go all year. I can go for the rest of my life this way. Have you ever met anybody like that? Are you sitting next to the person that... I can go forever. Whoever invented the freeze out, not cool, man. Not cool. Not cool. There's, there's lots of guys that's, that's just like eating bluebell because they're froze out. It's just not cool. And what God is saying is like, look, if you're freezing somebody out, if you're mad at somebody, I, I need you to fix that. I need you to fix that. I want you to fix that. In fact, as you're worshiping me right now, this is according to the Bible, as you're worshiping right, me right now, it's on my mind. It's on my mind. That's why he says, I want you to worship me free from anger and controversy. You know, there's been a few times, man, I feel the Holy Spirit right now, and i got to get up in somebody's mix. There's been a few times that I've been angry at somebody, and I'm in church. Or I'm angry with somebody and I'm in my prayer time at home. I'm in my house praying by myself and I'm angry at somebody. And, and scriptures like these, there's more of them. It'll start coming to my mind. And I'm just like, okay, now I'm torn. Now what do I do? Do I got to stop praying and like go fix this? You know, and then I'll start thinking, oh, that's, Satan, that's exactly what you want. You want me to stop praying, so I'm not going to sit. So I got all these head games, right? So what, what I end up doing, I felt like the Holy Spirit taught me this. What I end up doing when I'm angry at somebody and it's unresolved is I start praying blessings onto that person. I start praying for them. And boy... You want to talk about a hard prayer. You start praying for them. You start thanking God for them. And then you start saying, God, I thank you that you're teaching me right now in this process. You're teaching me right now. You're, 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 you're coaching me right now. now. Now, what I'm seeing in this room, I'm seeing two different faces. I'm seeing one face that's like this. Mm good that's good that's good now this is the person that's not mad at anybody right now mm, that's good <laughs> and then this is the other face that I'm seeing <laughs> that face is thinking about the person that they're mad at <laughs> like see somebody they don't want to talk so they just make sounds you know I'm talking about Crystal come on now (laughs) that's what I'm saying I'm just telling you if you don't want to receive it tonight you need to receive it Let's move on, because I want you all to like me. If I keep on punching that bag, you guys aren't going to like me anymore. Point, point number two is persona. 
Persona is how are, how are you perceived? How, when people look at you, how, how are you perceived? I thought about writing a book the other day called The Man from Mars. And, and, it, and, and the whole premise of the book would be, if a man came from Mars into your life today, would he know just by watching you how much you love God? Wouldn't that be a cool book? The Man from Mars. If he could go out with you and your friends, would he know which one among you is passionate about God? And, and on, on the Friday night, <laughs> on, on the Saturday night, uh, on the Thursday night, if he could come in, and I would have a whole bunch of chapters. When the man from Mars comes to your home, the man from Mars, chapter 2, comes to your work. The man from Mars, are you following me here? The man from Mars drives with you to work. <laughs> Get out of my car, dude. <laughs> you know, and just unpack that. The man from Mars watches TV with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go there. The man from Mars. Wouldn't that be a good book? How are you perceived? What is your persona? When somebody watches you, what, what, what do they see? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, Paul begins to start talking to women. And he says this, I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Now in those days, um, the only people that wore pearls and jewelry and, and face paint, makeup, um, were the Egyptian women. Um, nowadays, it's everybody wears jewelry and makeup. But I think the, 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 the biggest, the, if there were to be one word in this verse that needs to be in caps and underlined and circled and starred, highlighted, is the word modest. This is what he's saying here, is, is that women should be modest. And um, I, I want to just say the best way to discuss modest in a modest way uh, would be to say this to the ladies. If you bring attention to a part of your body and that part of your body is a place that guys shouldn't look at, then you're dressing immodestly. It's not rocket science. And so um, there's a few areas uh, of your body that men don't need to be looking at. Now, I know that that skirt and that dress and those shorts look so cute. And you just have to decide at that moment if you want to be cute or if you want to be modest. And a lot of times you can't be both. You can be cute or modest. And you have to decide. Uh, I know a lot of people that will dress modestly to church, but on Friday night they want to dress cute. Well, do you want to be that person? Do you really want to be that person? That you're, you're one way on Friday and you're a different way on Sunday? Do you really want to be that person? Because that person is the kind of person you don't like. You don't like people like that. And do you want to be the person that you don't like? 
Um, it, do you want to have a special set of rules for yourself where it's okay to be modest, immodest here, but it's not okay here? Do you really want to set those kind of rules up and then discuss that situation with God when you stand before him? Um, it's okay. Well, and here's what I hear sometimes. Well, I'm dressing up for my husband so I can wear this in public. Okay. Um, is there a possibility that other guys other than your husband is looking at you? Well, yes, there is that possibility. And then here's the other sentence I can't. Well, I can't control what men look at. Okay. Okay, Pilate, you're going to wash your hands from that. I can't control what they look at. And I'm not responsible for what they look at. Well, there is something, a principle that exists that sounds something like this. You can be 100% right and 100% wrong at the exact same time. So you're absolutely right. You cannot control men looking at your legs when you're wearing a skirt up to your hips. You're right. You can't control that. Um, but you'll be responsible for that. You'll be responsible for that. So if you want to say, look, I'm going to be modest on Sunday, but I'm going to dress the way I want to on Friday night. Look, you're going to have to answer for that. You're going to have to answer for that. So a simple rule is, does, is what you're wearing, would it be considered modest? And if that's difficult for you to define because of your background or your upbringing, uh, if that's difficult for you to define... Um, just ask yourself the question, is what you're wearing bring any attention to a place of your body that men shouldn't look at? Uh, I want to say this. Um, you can go down to certain neighborhoods in big cities and, and find um, women standing on the street corner uh, wearing um, hardly nothing. And I would just say to you, is that a woman that men are driving up and saying, man, I want to marry that girl. <laughs> I want, that's the one I want to marry her. Now, they may look at her. They may say, you know, uh, you know, things about her that may even be a compliment. But they're not saying, I'd love to marry her. I want that girl right there to be the mother of my children. They're not saying that. And why is that? Because on the inside of every man, they want a modest woman. Yes, amen. You can argue with me. It, that's what they want. I remember when I was growing up. You might even know her. Do you know Brenda Ellender? Okay, so I was six, 14, 15, 16 years old, attending church at Triumph Church in Nederland, Texas. And... Um, there was this lady in our church. I still think to this day she's an angel. I really, really do. She's, she, so if, it, let me think, how old is she probably right now? She's probably, what, 57, I guess? 57? Uh, so when I was a teenager, she's quite a bit younger. And, and I would tell people all the time, I'm going to marry a girl just like Brenda Ellender. I'm going to marry a woman just like Brenda Ellender. I'm going to marry a woman just like Brenda Ellender. There was just something about her. Um, if you were to meet her, you would not look at her and go, wow, she is one sexy mama, because she wasn't. Uh, she was 
modest. And when I looked into her eyes, she just looked like a person that prayed all day long. That's all she did was pray. She didn't eat. She didn't sleep. <laughs> all she did was pray. There was just something about her. Uh, her hair was really plain. Um, nothing about her was fancy. There was just something about her that was wonderful. There's just, and, and there's ladies in our church all over the place that I can put you in that same category. There's just something about you that's just wonderful. And, and, and that's what Paul is talking about here. He, he's, he's saying um, uh, in verse um, 10, he's saying, For women who claim to be devoted to God, to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. It, it's, the, it's the intangible things. It's the things that's just like, man, I have got to marry you. I, I, I want to know you. Um, uh, it, it's when younger women look at you and say, hey, can we go to lunch? You, you have something that I want. You, you, you know something. It's, it's that stuff. And Paul is saying here, hey, focus on that. Focus on cultivating that. Focus on developing that. Um, and then there's submission. That's the third thing that, that he talks about. Um, and, and submission is when desires clash. Um, submission to God, submission to each other. Um, and let me read this. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Now, this verse right here is, is caused a lot of uh, friction in today's world because um, it sounds like he's saying, hey, women, don't talk. Sit there, look pretty, don't talk. That's not what he's saying at all. Uh, you have to study this stuff. You've got to study this stuff. You've got to read the commentaries. You've got to study it. Because if that's what he was saying, then we've got to take other scriptures out of the Bible. Uh, scriptures like Acts chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, In the last days God will pour his spirit out, and sons and daughters will prophesy. So it's not saying that women can't teach. not saying women can't preach. It's not saying women can't talk. They were having a serious issue in the church. What was happening was you got these rabbis that were teaching other rabbis. There's a big mentoring process going on here. Like this book is called Timothy, but Timothy didn't write this book. This was written to Timothy. And so Paul wrote this book and he's mentoring Timothy. So this entire church, this entire community is all about this mentoring process in, in, in these home groups and these fellowship groups. And, and what was taking place is these women were raising their hands in the middle of the discussion, wanting to know more information, wanting to learn. It'd be like right now, women raising their hands, asking questions. And right now, while I'm talking, well, there's a time and there's a place for that, okay? Um, and, and what Paul is saying is like, hey, look, when you're teaching and when you're talking, Timothy, he's talking to Timothy, women need to just stay quiet while pastors and teachers are being raised up. Now, that doesn't mean that Women can't be pastors. Women can't be teachers. I mean, my goodness, you know, um, 
when I'm not here, or sometimes when I am here for that matter, um, Sarah comes up and, and teaches and preaches all the time. Uh, she does a phenomenal job. Uh, she'll continue to do so. But the issue here is more a submissive spirit. A submissive spirit. Like, sometimes I meet women all the time, and uh, not all the time, it doesn't happen that much anymore, but uh, it used to be, um, no man is going to be the leader of my household. The man is not the leader of my household, and I want to know if you believe that, because if you believe that, this isn't the church for me. And I'm just like, wow, jeez, <laughs> man, and it's, gosh, <laughs> you're pretty aggressive, man. I'm like, I feel like saying, are you married? I'd like to, is he happy? Let's just start there. <laughs> Let's just start there, because I mean, whoa, no, you're not married. Okay, well, that explains a lot. It, it's it, submissive is 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 a, is a spirit. It's a spirit. Um, it, and when 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 you know that being submissive is is not an issue with you, uh, when you when you don't get caught up when you're here to serve. Like when I look at my wife, I don't come walking in going, "I'm the man of this house." I show up and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, my wife's probably busted her tail all day today. Hey, why don't you go lay down? Let me, I'll put the kids to bed. I'll do the dishes. You know, I'm here to serve. And, and when, you're, when you're trying to outserve each other, you got a pretty awesome marriage. Um, you know, you try to push me into the corner and say, well, are you the man of your house or not? With that kind of attitude, there's no way you're going to enjoy a beautiful marriage. Submissiveness is an attitude issue. And, and when you take a real big position on being submissive, there's more things going on uh, than, than the actual topic itself. I feel like saying, what are you mad about? What are you angry about? And usually it has to do with some Joe in the past. I'm like, hey, we're, all of us are not named Joe. And I'm sorry that you met a guy named Joe that was a big jerk and he had a power trip. But don't take all the men in the whole world and lump us all together. Um, you know, not all of us are walking around trying to reign and rule the, our kingdom called our house. Um, and so what, what he's saying here is, look, let's, let's, uh, let's be submissive. Um, and, and when you read the entire Bible in its context... It says that men ought to love and serve our wives the way Christ loved the church. Amen. Do you see what the way Christ loved the church? I mean, Christ laid his life down for the church. And, and men should lay their life down for their wife. But it does say in the Bible that the husband is the head of the household. Amen. And so what you have here is you got two principles and they're both going together. Husbands, lay your life down for your wife. Hey, women, the husband is the head of the household. So now you've got this competition on who's going to outserve who. Now, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's, a, that's, that's beautiful. You know, when, when we get to heaven, the Bible says that the Lord is going to serve those who hung on to the faith. 
the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is going to put an apron and serve us. He's going to serve us. And, and uh, wow! Talk about a, a, a humbling moment. The Son of God is going to serve you and I. How humbling! And, and, and the Bible says, men, do this with your wife. And it needs to be who's out serving who. And, and, and when we back up, we're like, well, hold on a second. I, you, I'm out serving you. You, you ain't going to leave me. I'm out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Things are getting out of hand here. Getting out of hand. And a lot of times our belief system for the future, our map for the future, is made by our experiences. And if you have bad experiences, you have a bad map. If you have positive experiences, you have a positive map. What is your map? The map is what you plan to do and the way you plan to think moving into the future. And so when you meet somebody new, a new relationship, a new church, a new job, uh, a new employer, you've got this map, this internal map saying this is how this is going to go. And, and you've built that map with your past experiences. And, and what's scary is when your past experiences are really bad, you say to yourself, that ain't going to happen again, which is fair enough. That ain't going to happen again. So you build this map and you take this map and you bring it in that new relationship. Well, the trouble is, is that they're showing up with a map as well. So they show up with their map. You show up with your map. Now, if your map is built with bad experiences and their map is built with good experiences, now you lay them on top of each other. Now you got this lack of trust because... They're not going according to your map, and you're not going according to their map, and now we got problems, and now what happens is we crunch it up, throw it away, and say, Mwah, I'll see you later, divorce papers are in the mail. It's like, whoa, 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 that's, that, that's what Paul's talking about here when he's talking about being submissive. Being submissive is a spirit. It's a, it, being submissive is a spirit. It's a spirit. You know, my, in 14 years of being married, and let me just say this, my wife and I have either the best marriage you've ever seen or the top three. We've got a phenomenal marriage. But we have healthy discussions, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we have healthy discussions. And, and it's, it's an issue of comparing maps. This is the way I think it needs to go. She's like, this is the way I think it needs to go. The, the way my family is wired up, we can, I cannot, my brother works at our church, and so he, he just looks around. <laughs> what are you about to say? <laughs> but, but he'll tell you, he got into a motorcycle accident four or five years ago. Nobody in the family knew it. Nobody in the whole family knew until like uh, three months later. He was laid up in the hospital. Uh, laid up, uh, he didn't tell anybody. And we go, boo, Jonathan. Uh, that happens all the time. My dad had kidney stones, was rushed to the ambulance. Woo, 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 woo. I mean, none of us ever knew. That's just how our family is. Now, Allie's family, if they stub their toe, 
the whole family tree knows about it. The whole thing, text each other, oh, my toe, pray for my toe, pray for my toe, my toe, my toe, my toe, my toe, my toe, oh, pray for my toe, taking pictures of their toe, got ice on their toe, it, sending it, 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 their whole family knows about it. They start, they start planning Christmas in like March. They're like, hey, can it be my family's turn? I'm like, whatever, take all the years, I don't care. <laughs> What do you mean take turns? Take turns. What do you mean take turns? Like, my, my family's... It, when we give each other presents, it's like, hey, what do you want? Right, how about I just give you 50 bucks and you go buy it yourself? <laughs> We're good with that. We're good with that. Like I told Allie, I was like, hey, uh, my dad uh, doesn't want me to tell you this, but he bought you a pair of black boots for Christmas. And she goes, well, then why did you tell me? It's like, you just ruined the present. I was like... So, we mean ruin the present. Spare boots. It's a big deal. You just ruined the present. It was supposed to be a surprise. Like it's boots. It's not like you won the lottery. Boots. Jessica Simpson boots. There you go. They got a little buckle right here. I'm gonna ruin it more. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We have different. We come from different cultures, different backgrounds. Now, I love my family as much or if not more than she loves her family. Maybe not more, but <laughs> I love my family. I fight for my family. I adore my family. But we just have different maps. We have, we have different. And so now submission is now a spirit. It's a spirit of just saying, hey, I don't have to have my way. It's not my way or the highway. I don't know why I'm spending so much time on this, but usually when I do, I need to. It's a spirit. Let me move on. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And Isaiah, you can come on up for this uh, last and closing point. It reads like this. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Now, I had to do a lot of studying on this verse because, um, I mean, I really had to dig in a little bit to figure out what this verse is meaning because it sounds like if you have a baby, you're going straight to heaven. Now, <laughs> and I got to tell you, I'd be okay with that because I've seen you guys have a baby. I'm like, y'all should go to heaven, right? Just what... <laughs> I've seen my wife have three kids. <laughs> Anyone here who's had a baby, y'all ought to get in. You can lie, cheat, and steal every day of your life, and you should still get in. Okay. Anybody that's got to go through that? <laughs> yeah. Raise your hand if you've had a baby. Go ahead. Right. Y'all ought to get in for free. Okay. You, ought to, you can go steal anything you want. You can get in. You, get, you push out an eight-pound football, you get in for free. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez all the women are like what's wrong with you but you're right <laughs> i should if you've had more than one baby you get to bring somebody with you um so i i looked uh i i, I had to do some studying to find out what in the world this scripture means and, and it's actually translating it to english was difficult um, and it actually means, but women will be saved through the childbearing, which is speaking of the incarnation of how uh, it was a, through a woman 
that Christ was born. So that you will be saved through a childbearing process, the Son of God coming to the earth. But here's the key, and this applies to whether you're a woman or a man. Watch this. Watch what it says here. Assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. You're going to be saved through Jesus Christ, assuming you're going to continue to do this. Now, I'm really jacking with a lot of people's theology right now. Don't email me. Don't call me. Don't find out if I'm once saved, always saved. Don't, don't bully me. I'm, all I'm doing is reading the Bible, okay? That's what it says. It's one thing we can all agree on is that continuing to live with faith, love, holiness, and modesty is incredibly important. Incredibly important. 